guys are finding your seats. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 10. And we are going to be looking at verses 19 through 25 today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. It says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an, an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the as habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That sends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it draw near to God through the open curtain that is Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever been out to California, to the great sequoias? Has anybody been out there never seen them? The great giant redwoods? Saw one hand. Not many. Two hands. Um, yeah, these... These redwood trees, they're massive. They, they can grow over 350 feet tall. Think about that. that that's as tall as a 35-story building. And, and their trunks can get as wide as 22 feet. That, that, that's the distance if you play basketball. That's, that's a three-pointer, right? Yeah. Needless to say, these trees are large. They're, they're like mountains. And so you would imagine that they would have deep roots as well. But that's not the case. And instead, their, their roots are very shallow. In fact, they only go down about six or eight feet deep. But they spread out far and wide. And they reach out anywhere between 60 and 100 feet from the edge of their trunk. And this is how they support their massive weight. For what will happen is, is that the roots from one tree will, will end up interlocking with the roots of several other trees. And thus a, a grove of, of redwoods end up supporting one another. <coughs> In many ways, just like those giant sequoias, Christ's church can only survive if it has its own interlocking root system. A system where brothers and sisters in Christ have these interconnecting lives to help support one another, to, to, to ensure one another's growth. And this is a concept that we see in our passage for today. 
we, we have now reached a, a major transition in this book of Hebrews. And pretty much since the beginning, for nine plus chapters, uh, our author has been focusing on the fact that Jesus is better. I hope you got that by now. <laughs> that, that he is superior to that old covenant system. But what our author is doing now is he's giving us instruction. He's giving us guidance. Now that he has proven and now that we know that Jesus truly is better, he is giving us godly advice. And he has given it to those Jewish converts to the Christian faith as well who are facing challenging and trying times. He, he's given advice to a church that was facing persecution. Persecution because they claimed Jesus as their king. You, you see, this, this author, he just doesn't tell them, well, well, we'll tough it out. No, he doesn't do that. He, he, he gives them instruction. He gives them the how-to. He, he gives them direction. What will it take to persevere? And, and that is my hope as well. That as we go through these verses, as, as we continue through this book of Hebrews, that we will discover the things that we should be doing. The things that we as Christians living in the context of 21st century America should be doing in order to persevere through the difficulties that we face. And so as we come to this passage, let's, let us pay close attention to the instructions that are within. To these encouragements on how to live as Christians during rough, rough times. Look, look at our first three verses. Look at verses 19 through 21. Here we see kind of a preamble, because we got the word therefore, right? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. And so what we see in these first three verses is a reminder of what the, that our author has been arguing for, that, that, that Jesus is better. That we can now come to God's throne through him. But not only can we come, but we, we can come with confidence, right? For, for Jesus has gone to the true temple of God. Jesus has come to him as our true high priest. Jesus has brought with him that true sacrifice, which is his body. And because of who he is, and, and because of what he has done, we as his followers, we have the opportunity to enter in as well. To enter into the place where we could not go before. That holy of holies. You see, this, this newfound confidence it comes not from our own merits. It comes not from what we did, but it comes from the blood of Christ. That curtain that was torn in two, that was done by his hands, not ours. He is the one allowing us access into this heavenly place. Access to our heavenly Father. And now that he has opened up this way for us, we must be ready <laughs> ready for his instructions. And thus our author 
he gives to us three encouragements. Three let us commandments of God. What do I mean by that? I mean that three times our author will be, will embolden and instruct us by using these words. Let us. And our first let us, it, it comes to us in verse 22. This is what it says. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a true heart. Because of all those things, all those things that we have spoken of before, because Jesus is better, and because the curtain has been opened by him, we should now draw near to God's throne with a true heart. Now think about this. Think about the context. Think about what the, the audience that our author is writing to. He was writing to a people who were under duress. A people who were suffering from heavy persecution. And the first point of advice that he gives, the first lettuce, is draw near to God. It's not to go by a sword. It's not to run and hide. It's not to, to put on some disguise. Rather, it is to draw near to God. Here's the thing. It, it was drawing near to God through Jesus Christ that caused them to be in this mess in the first place. Because they were worshiping Jesus, they were being mocked. Because they were worshiping Jesus, they were being shunned. Because they were worshiping Jesus, they were being harassed and arrested. Because they were worshiping Jesus, their lives were in danger. But rather than running away from the cause of those things, this author encourages them to press in more. To draw near to God. And that's just it. God is really the only one who can truly protect them. And, and so our author, he, he didn't want them to give in to their fear. He, he didn't want them to cave to the pressure. Rather, he wanted them to understand that what they had been given through Christ is so much more. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about the suffering that, that he had to endure. He had gone through beatings and imprisonments. He had been shipwrecked. He, he had been chased out of villages. He had been abandoned by those whom he thought were loyal to Christ. And yet through all of it, he kept his focus on Jesus. On his Savior. Look at, look at Philippians verse, chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Listen to the words of Paul. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation 
I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Brothers, sisters, when, when the Apostle Paul wrote this, he did so from a prison cell. The, the, the man was behind bars, and, and yet he was content. He had joy. But why was he content? Why did he have joy? What was his secret? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Often we, we get this verse mixed up, don't we? It gets misused, it gets stripped from its context, and it gets used to talk about worldly goals. Anything from starting a successful business to, to winning a high school football game. I'm pretty sure that's not what Paul had in mind when he wrote this. Rather, he was speaking as a persecuted man to a persecuted church. As, and he was speaking about having the ability to endure such things. And the way to endure such things is by having your focus on God. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In a similar vein, this, this is what our author in Hebrews is saying. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, if, if you have yet to understand that being able to come before your God with your bodies washed with pure water is better than finding comfort in this mortal life, if you have yet to understand that having your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience is, is worth both the hardship and the suffering. If you have yet to understand that drawing near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith is more valuable than anything that this world has to offer, then perhaps you have yet to fully understand what the gospel message is all about. Dear friends, no matter what you are going through in this life, whether it's sickness, whether it's grief, or whether it's something far worse, let us draw near to God. Let us be close to Him. For it is when we are close to Him that, that all the troubles of this world will begin to seem like trivial matters. For only when you are near to God can you see things from His perspective, from His perspective point of view. For when you are near to God, when you are in his word, when you are in prayer, your, your perspective changes. You begin to see things in light of an eternal reality. You, you begin to comprehend both the goodness and the, and the sovereignty of God, how he is in control of all of it. And you begin to understand that, that the troubles and, and, and the trials that you're going through right now 
are just momentary in light. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For things that are seen are transient, but things that are unseen are eternal. You see, it is only when you draw near to God that you can see that eternal reality. But that is just the first let us. Look at, look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This is a call to, to stand firm. This is a call to be strong. This is a call to remain true to the truth. The truth that has been revealed to you in Jesus Christ. Now, given the context to, to which our author was writing, this, this also would have been a dangerous thing to do. It, it was because they held fast to, 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 their, to the truth of Jesus Christ that they were being persecuted in the first place. And so one would think that the advice would be the opposite. Oh, hold lightly the confession. For if you have a loose grip, you'll be able to let go before trouble brews, Right? But that's not what's suggested here. Instead, they were to hold fast. They were, they were to not let go. That, that means don't veer to the left and don't veer to the right. Rather, stay true to the truth that has brought to you this hope. But why? Why remain firm? Because he who promised is faithful. In other words, Jesus, this one who offers to you eternal life, will be true to his words. Again, it's all a matter of perspective, is it not? Do, do you see eternal life with God as more valuable, as, as more precious than the ease from, from your suffering right now? Do, do you trust in this one who, who died for your sins, even though there are dangers all around you? Do you believe that he will be there for you, even in the midst of your suffering? That he will bring you joy, that he will bring you comfort, a comfort that is not dependent upon your experiences in this life. Will you hold firm to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? But it goes beyond that, does it not? For, for holding fast to this confession of our hope, it, it, it is also just a matter of truth itself. A matter of living in the truth. 
Listen, it, it's one thing to believe in something because you, you, you think it will bring about a desired outcome. And we see people doing this all the time. But, it, but it, if that belief isn't in line with the truth, then it simply becomes faith in a lie for the sake of self-gain. And yet we know the truth, do we not? That Jesus died for our sins. That, that he rose from the dead three days later. And that he is the only one who deserves our loyalty. He is our king. He, he is our Lord. And, and so to hold firm to the confession of the hope that we profess, it, it means to live in the truth and not in a lie. And yet there's more. There's, there's another thing that this second lettuce command will do for us. For, for when we become solid, when we become grounded in our confession, when we hold firm to the faith, then that confession will shape us. It, it will mold us into men and women who are able to persevere. For Christ will strengthen you by giving you conviction. A conviction that will allow you to endure and, and even flourish under intense pressure. This then leads us to our next command, our next lettuce. Look at, look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love <laughs> and good works. You see, those who hold fast to the confession of our hope will, will ultimately be led into the path that Jesus tried, to the path of love and good works. When we look at the book of Acts and we look at that early, early church who was dealing with persecution of its own, what we see happening was not a people who would retaliate, no, what rather we would we would see a people who, even though evil was done to them, they would return with kindness and a gospel-minded love. I mean, consider the events that happened early on to the church in Jerusalem when, when persecution first broke out. The, the apostles, they were arrested, they were flogged. They, they were commanded not to preach in Jesus' name. And then shortly after, we, we saw Stephen being stoned to death because he was preaching Christ. Men and women were being dragged from their homes and put in prison. And the rest of the church, was they were being scattered about. Needless to say, this was not a time for the faint of heart. But, but even with all of that going on, they continued to reach out with love and good works. Look at, look at Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. We see an example of this right here. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits 
crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. There was much joy in that city. You see, rather than giving up in the face of trouble, men like Philip were spurred on to love their neighbors by preaching Christ to them. And it was through that good news that demons were cast out, that cripples were healed. And all because Philip didn't let his fear sidetrack him, sidetrack him from performing those good deeds in the name of Jesus Christ. And so he risked his own life for the sake of the lost. And now the question that we must ask today is this. How can we, as Christ's church, love our neighbors in the midst of our own troubles? What, what risks can we take to bring the good news to the lost around us? Listen, we, we live in a nation where, where the cost of sharing the gospel seems cheap. For, for we live in a nation where we can speak our mind and worship whomever or however we want to. And so you would think that, that, that Christians would be speaking to everyone around them about Jesus. <coughs> and yet for the most part, that doesn't seem to be the case. Why do you think that is? What is holding us back? Because our nation has figured out other ways to put pressure upon us, right? Other ways than simply threatening us with violence or imprisonment. Instead, they, they threaten you with mockery. Instead, they threaten you with shame. Instead, they, they threaten you through the removal of your friendship. And unfortunately, their, their methods have worked. For, for we value the friendships of this world more than the friendship of Christ. And thus our mouths have been shut and our love and our good works have been cut off. What are the costs of sharing Jesus Christ in America today? Your reputation. Your pride. A good friend. <laughs> A, a, a relationship with a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister. And over the years, I, I've heard preachers minimize these things. In fact, I have minimized these things in the past myself. I've said that, oh, these things can't compare to what was happening over in India. That, that if Christians in North Korea are willing to lose their lives for Jesus, then, then shouldn't we be willing to lose a friend? And while there's some truth to this, that, that doesn't mean that, that, that there isn't sacrifice on our part. That there isn't a real risk for being bold for Christ here in America, because there is. That there isn't real hardship in demonstrating your love and, and good works. There is a cost. It may not be your life, but it, there is a cost. And you feel it. And yet, this is the task that Christ calls you to nonetheless. Listen, uh, America needs Jesus just as much as North Korea does. And, and if we say that we can't do this, 
that, that we can't bring the gospel message to the lost souls around us because, because of the costs, well, then we've underlined, uh, undermined the message itself. For, for when we do that, what, what we are subtly communicating is, is that, that the friendships of this world are more important to us than our friendship with Jesus Christ. Brothers, sisters, the gospel says no. The gospel says Jesus is better. He, he is so much better. And, and so we should not let the fear of man overtake us. We should not let the sufferings of this life stop us from proclaiming the good news. Rather, let us stir up one another to love and good works. But how are we to do that? How, how are we to do any of this? How, how are we to encourage one another towards these let us commands that come from Jesus? We can only do this when we are willing to follow what is written in this last verse. Look at, look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Ever since COVID hit, the, the presence of the online church has been magnified, has it not? What, what used to be regulated to the, the world of the megachurch has now become the norm in most small churches. Today you will be hard-pressed to find any church that, that hasn't set up some type of online streaming presence. And yet what this has done is it has caused us to think that, that, that listening to worship music on Spotify or, or watching a sermon on YouTube will somehow fill the void of not going to church. But, but listening to music on your earbuds or, or watching a sermon on your iPad, while those things are good, they do not replace becoming an active member in Christ's church. They, they do not replace the, the, the physical gathering of Christ's body. And yet for many of us, we have led ourselves to believe this very thing. Why is that? Well, at first it was out of fear, right? Fear of this unknown virus. Uh, and a virus that the world kept telling us was going to kill everyone. But, but I think that now we just use that as an excuse. I think that now that the reason that many fail to, to gather together is because it's just easier. Am I right? It's easier not having to shower and get dressed. <laughs> it's easier not having to get your kids ready and out the door. It's easier not having to build that relationship with that person sitting in the same pew as you that you don't know all that well. And it's easier to just turn that sermon off when you don't like what the pastor has to say. 
And so we neglect to meet together. And yet we are not the only generation that has had to deal with this issue, right? We are not the only generation who has had to deal with people leaving the church. I mean, imagine what it would have been like for those early believers who suffered under heavy persecution. I mean, every time they met, they were taking a risk. And if you thought COVID was dangerous, imagine a, a Roman spear. And one would think that the advice that our author would give would be, well, well let's, let's just take a break. Let's pause a moment until things die down a bit, until the persecution grows lighter, until things are safe. But that's not what he said. Rather, he said, let us not neglect to meet together. Let us be bold. Let us gather. You see, even in the early church, there were those who, who had neglected the family of God. And, and the reason they did so didn't seem all that unreasonable, at least not to me. They, they, they didn't want to be persecuted. They didn't want to be harassed. They, they didn't want to be tossed from their homes. They didn't want to be imprisoned. And they didn't want to die. And to my logical mind, that, that makes total sense. And yet the advice in this passage tells us to do the opposite. Let us meet together, no matter the cost. But let me say this. What's what this early church went through, it wasn't unique to their generation. Throughout church history, it is not uncommon to find followers of Jesus being oppressed. Even today, you have brothers and sisters in Christ who gather regularly, regularly, though they risk imprisonment and bodily harm. Go to places like China or Indonesia, and you will find such believers. Go to countries like Afghanistan or Libya, and you will discover brave men and women. You will discover disciples of Jesus who understand the importance of coming together, who, who see the value of the body of Christ and how we need one another. And yet many of us struggle to show up because we are afraid of a virus. Many of us struggle to meet together because we find it inconvenient and we don't see the importance. Why is it important? Why is the gathering so crucial? Well, for one, if, if you don't gather, then how are you going to draw near to God? For it is through the gathering that we experience God's presence through our worship together and through our fellowship with one another. Two, if, if you don't gather, then how are you going to hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess? For it is when we gather that we strengthen our faith through the preaching of the word and through our study together as we go through the scriptures. Three, if you don't gather, then how are you going to spur one another on toward love and good deeds? For it is when we gather that we encourage one another. Encourage one another to be on task. 
to remain on God's mission. And so we see that, that it is only through the gathering of the body of Christ that these let us commands can actually be accomplished. Listen, there, there is a reason our author says, let us and not let you. Because you're not meant to do this alone. You, in fact, you can't do this alone. But it's more than just what you need. But it's who needs you. God has uniquely gifted each and every single one of you. He has uniquely gifted you. But, but, but that gift is there for a reason. It is for the edification of his church. You are meant to serve the body of Christ through the calling that Christ has placed upon you. But how can you do that if you are not here? Just like those sequoias, just like those giant redwood trees who only survive by, by interlinking their roots, we need to, to interlink with one another. But when you choose to, to not show up, what you're choosing is to forsake your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because suddenly the body doesn't have a leg. Because suddenly the body lacks an arm. Do you get what I'm saying? The rest of us need you. Maybe it's by God's providence that you are here today, even even though maybe you don't normally come. Perhaps you're not here today. Rather, you are listening to this message online. If you don't regularly attend church, perk up your ears a minute. I want you to consider the passage we just read and all these lettuce commandments. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, why? Why do I avoid going to church? Am I letting fear drive my decision? Am I letting my own laziness, my, my own creaturely comforts supersede my commitment to God's family? Supersede my commitment to, to Jesus Christ? Do I not find Jesus and his church worth the effort? Let me put it bluntly. When you give up on meeting together, what you are essentially doing is defying your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For what you are basically saying to God is this. I can do this on my own. I don't need anyone else. I can be that, that Lone Ranger Christian. Dear friends, when, when the world tells you to live in fear, Christ tells you to live. When the world tells you you can do this and you can do that all by yourself, Christ tells you, no, you can't. He tells you that you need him and that you need his family. And they, in turn, need you. So let us draw near to God with a true heart. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And let us not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some.
Let us pray. Christ's name.